As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to The Schmidt List, the podcast for people dedicated to managing successful projects, developing impactful products, and building engaged teams. And now, here's your host, Kurt Schmidt. Sarah, how are you today? How are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Kurt? Good to see you. How are you? I'm doing well. well thanks for joining me. Sarah, I you're over at Loom. And tell me about what you guys do over at Loom. So Loom, we are a really new organization in Minneapolis. We like to say Loom is the two of us, myself, Sarah, and Megan. And we are co-founders who came together from really different backgrounds, yep. but a shared interest in thinking about how we can help people navigate change. And Kurt, we can talk a little bit about how we realized yes. we had that shared interest, but that's what we do. We partner with leaders and organizations, large and small, to help the human beings inside companies figure out how they can really work through the messy change that is so necessary as we try to create companies that will really thrive in our future. Yeah, that's it. That sounds like really interesting and exciting work. You've worked in uh, a number of different, uh, you've worked in a lot of different places, but more recently, you've worked in some agencies where design has been a big part of the work that you do. And I see people when they approach organizational change uh, without a design aspect to it, it's more of we're a global company and we want everybody to start acting like a regular company. What I've seen over the years is that people go, as companies grow, areas of the organizations tend to go different ways because they are they're incentivized differently, right? So like the sales team is incentivized to do these things. The delivery team is incentivized to do these things. And so naturally, these organizations seem to split off over time. Is that something you've experienced and you've seen, Sarah? Yeah, Kurt, like you mentioned, I, I grew up in ad agencies and then started to evolve into more ad agency consulting world. And yep. a lot of what my experience has been being that consultant, that outsider looking inside organizations. And there's, I think you touched on one thing that I've definitely experienced is seeing the people who are the innovators, yep. the, the natural entrepreneurs, not necessarily finding fulfillment and support for the change that they're, they really believe in within the organization. And so they leave, they go off, they create their own things. And I, I think I've experienced that within agencies and I've experienced that with clients. And I think it's really a disservice to everyone involved. And how do we allow some of those people to really grow and thrive 
within um, their organizations, because so often those individuals and those organizations want the same things. They want to evolve together, but they aren't given the proper support and tools to really do so. And I think that's the work Megan and I are working towards doing (laughs) as a new organization is we like to joke, we like the really messy problem that everyone else likes to shy away from. And we really think that's the mess is like how you actually support people through that change beyond just identifying it. Makes sense. And Megan, you recently did an article where you talked about the ecosystem, right? Because I, again, I feel like people take the idea of an organization and things and they break it down to processes and matrix and it's easy to put into a spreadsheet and we'll just move column little, we'll take a little bit from column A and move to column B and then we're all set. Everybody's aligned. Chop, chop. Talk to me about the ecosystem side of the work that you're doing, Megan. Yeah, I think what we created was having both been through a lot of change opportunities and change experiences, it always felt like people were trying to fit change into these rigid systems and structures. And the fact is that organizations are a bunch of human beings and it's a lot more dynamic than that. And we started to wonder, what if we looked at this opportunity a little bit differently? And what if we looked at the organization as an ecosystem, Mm -hmm. how would that shift our lens in terms of how we approach this problem? And some of the shifts that opened up for us was to stop thinking about organizational change and change in general as a transformation and more about as an evolution. And that evolution is something that happens over time within ecosystems. Mm -hmm. It's about small sustained changes that happen over time. And it's less about these one-time overnight transformations. The other lens that it helped us see is that so much of change happens and it's a lot of tops down. They figure out the systems and structures and then they try to roll it out to all the human beings below. And a lot of those people who are going through that change struggle. You, You don't necessarily have the context for what how those decisions got made. You don't know why you're changing. You don't even know how to change. And thinking about within the ecosystem, like everybody plays a role. And so when we're doing through change, how do we actually think about engaging everyone, including those on the periphery? And so it really started to to open up our frame of reference for how we could think about it. And I think another kind of point in the ecosystem was nature, and I think human beings, it's cyclical, right? Mm -hmm. It's not linear. And I think we all want this process. And to go back to Sarah's point, like, we all want it not to be messy. And we wish it would fit in clean little boxes and systems and structures, and that we just change one time, and it would be done. But that's, that's not the world we're living in. (laughs) And that's not how change works. (laughs) And so if we look at it a bit more expansively and we look at it as something that happens in cycles, what we can then do is off to also build in moments of rest and recovery and actually reward that as part of it. Because Mm -hmm. I think what we hear from a lot of people is just the fact that they're exhausted. The people who are working on change, the people who are going through change, they're exhausted. And we have to see the long game, not just the short game that we want to be able to capitalize on, we have to actually build for the long run. And so we just got a lot of inspiration and being able to to think about the opportunity a bit differently than maybe what we had been 
exposed to in the past. Yeah, it's scary because I've I personally have been a part of very fast growing companies and any change is scary. And uh, people always used to say people don't like change. And it's no people like change. They just don't want your change. (laughs) They've got ideas and they're willing to do them. How have you, Sarah and Megan, found a way that you can? Because I mean, obviously, a lot of this starts with executive or stakeholder alignment. You've got to have make sure that the leaders of the organization have buy in and that they are sponsoring these changes and that they're aligned on it. I think that's pretty obvious. But then how do I get it down to the driver or the the line level person and say, this is what this change means to you? Because I've been a part of organizations where leadership has shown up and said, this is our BHAG goal. This is our big, hairy, audacious goal. This is what we're going to do. And everybody leaves the meeting going, well, I'm just going to go back to work because I I don't know how I contribute to that. Is it really come down to that communication and what have you seen work and what doesn't work? Yeah, communication is definitely a part of it. I think one thing that we've been talking about a lot is how important the hows are. And especially like coming from a strategic consulting agency world, there's so much emphasis in that world on shaping the vision and the business and the brand strategy. And that is important work. And we really value that work. I spent most of my career doing that work. But you so often invest so much in that work. And then the how is almost the afterthought. And it's the unsexy work. And Mm -hmm. it's the, we were talking with someone this morning, like, it's just because we're shifting Titanic so often, like you get to the how and everyone's so tired because you've been like working on that damn vision for six months. And you're arguing over semantics at this point. So I think (laughs) one of the things and like our formation of Loom is we want to pick up the baton when that vision has been created. We like to do vision work as well, but so often we think our value is picking up the baton and seeing through the hows. And one specific thing we've really been working on is helping teams reframe organizational change as starting really small and in experiments. Okay. So what if we hypothesize that our vision is this direction, what are the first small things that we can do as a team or within one team or even a partnership to start to test out that hypothesis? And how small can we go? What's something we can do tomorrow? What's something we can accomplish in the next week that maybe requires no capital investment? Because so often the change is also about starting to change our behaviors, try, starting to change the mind, our mindsets. Mm-hmm. And so those really small things allow us to focus on practicing new behaviors, practicing like what I hold in my head. And then we can start to let the the small changes snowball and act almost as a flywheel of practicing and one small experiment can lead to a bigger one that makes sense and so megan is it that momentum that you see is is the thing that really starts to gain traction instead of just coming in and big powerpoint reveal of this is who we're going to be next year is it getting that momentum going is that what you found has worked yeah i think it goes back to the progress principle where Mm. everybody needs to feel successful and needs to see signals of progress and then be able to feel like they can take the next step. And I think it's interesting to almost flip the question. Sometimes we're always thinking about these changes in just like such massive terms because a lot of them are, they're big shifts, but sometimes the place to start is actually what's the easiest 
smallest way that we can begin this change and kind of keep lowering the bar until people can step into it and take the first step. I joke, I'm like a Peloton lover. And one of my favorite instructors on there will talk about, you know, everybody asks her like, how do you get started with running? Cause she's an ultra marathoner, right? Oh, so wow. people just admire where she is. And one of the things she says is you put your shoes on. You just start by putting your shoes on and it sounds a bit glib, but it actually is the first step. And so if we can all take the first step together and we can find ways to move forward and do that work in a collaborative way, we can all start to see ourselves in the change. Cause I think that's the other thing is just, you know, how you said it, you know, yourself of people just don't want your change. People want to belong. One of the key reasons why people resist is because of fear of irrelevance, right? Mm -hmm. They, if it gets handed down to them, they don't see themselves in that future organization. And so by doing these small steps, by giving opportunities to co-create, we allow people to internalize and to find their own role within that change. And they get to define that and they get to be part of that process. And I think that's super empowering and encouraging for people. Yeah, I can see that. And what about your advice for somebody who's maybe this isn't a top down approach? Maybe I'm I'm watching the show right now. And I'm in the middle, right, maybe a middle management or a senior leader or something. And I'm like, I've got some change I'd like to propose, but I don't want to be looked at as I don't appreciate my job and that I don't Mm -hmm. uh, appreciate the way things go. And I don't want to look like I'm upsetting the apple cart. And this is a weird time with pandemic. And I also don't want to look like that, but we need to make some changes. And what's your advice to somebody who's in that position? Mm, Where to begin? Megan, you've been in that position. (laughs) Yeah, I I think what's always hard is, I think there's always opportunities in being able to shift the microculture and be like, what is your sphere of influence? And your sphere of influence might just be you. And you get to role model that and you get to show people what a different way of approaching the problem and Mm -hmm. approaching the change might look like. Or if you're a leader of a team, you can model that within your team. And if you start to have success and you start to have energy, people are attracted to that. People want to know what is it that you're doing. And so I think sometimes just saying what control the controllables, right? What do I control? Where can I begin? Let me start to move this in my sphere of influence and then let it ripple out from there. Yeah, letting the success and the impact speak for itself instead of showing up. And again, I keep going back to this, showing up and just showing a PowerPoint of what the future could look like. It's the same type of advice I give people in their career. Don't wait for the title. (laughs) Do the job now. And uh, the title hopefully will should come. But with that, the idea, I like what you're saying, Megan, is, is, is worry about your sphere of influence, right? Because I've experienced this before inside an organization once where the bigger company goals didn't really make a lot of sense to the individuals on my team. We came up with our own kind of goal that we felt achieved that, but it was very specific to our team. And that allowed for us to really start to own more of our impact and our deliverables, knowing that it tied into that bigger goal. But I, but the thing I learned as a leader is for a long time, I was waiting for somebody from the top to tell me that this was okay. It gave me permission 
to do it. But the thing was, is that they weren't going to give me permission. They weren't in my shoes. They weren't dealing with the things that I had to deal with every single day. So I like what you're saying, Megan, there about stop waiting for this sort of permission and this sort of thing to come down from high to say, now is the time to start going and, and making those changes. I love that. I love that. I love that thought. Sarah, I wanted to ask you specifically around what are some activities or things I can do to start to model these changes, right? So let's say whether I'm an executive or I'm that person more in the midsize and I'm thinking about these changes that I want to do, what are some exercises or activities that um, could be helpful for me to, to go through to start to visualize or model those things? Yeah, I'm a big fan and it's part of how I found myself in this space is I take a lot of the tools of brand and business strategy and turn them back on people. So dovetailing off of if you're that person in the organization and you need for change, but you don't have support. One of the things that actually a peer of mine had pointed out when I was going through some change in my career that was really useful was to actually use like the strategy tools of figuring out what your purpose and value proposition on you as an individual. And that I found to be a really useful exercise to both look internally and, mm-hmm. and, and sort through like, why are you in this role? Or what value do you want to serve? And then what those core inherent strengths you have as a human being, as an expert in your field, as the experiences you have, and how do those fit into your team, or into your organization. And with that kind of clarity on your own value, start to identify the places where you can really start to practice the change and do it in the small ways. Because what's authentic to me and what I'm great at is not going to be what's authentic to Megan and what she's great at. So I think that's starting at that beginning of like your, just your superpowers and really knowing what your own superpowers are, and then working to sort through what are the ways to unlock your superpowers within your sphere of influence? And those are going to be different for every individual. It is not a one size fits all. And I think that's what's so challenging about some of the change work is just like recognizing like we are all human beings, different things motivate us. We all have different backgrounds and experiences and lives behind us. Like we're going to all need different types of support to be able to navigate change. There isn't one framework that's going to work for all of us which is right. messy, but also it makes like people so amazing. Yeah, it does. And, but that's the thing is that I think it is, it is about understanding that human side of it, because if you're in a relationship and someone sits down and says, we need to talk about our relationship, you're going to be like, oh no, this is good. <laughs> And if somebody comes, if your boss comes out and sits down and says, we need to talk about your position or your, what we're doing in this organization, it's, it's something that will freak people. It will freak people out. Dylan commented here. I just want to say he he talked about the stating the lines of I think this change would produce positive incomes. I have ideas for a couple small doable experiments that would provide direction. That idea of of being able to say, here's an idea, right? Instead of just coming right out and being like, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. But seeding it out to people and saying, here's the impact I, I we need to make. Be in talking about that before you talk about we're going to change people's titles, we're going to open up a new line of business, we're going to move offices, where you know all those different things. Is I think if under people understand what the end result want, needs to be, I think it's easier for them to see themselves in that change. And is that something you both have experienced as well? 
Yeah, and Dylan's comment just sparked for me something we've started to talk about recently and is just like embracing not knowing. And I think there's a tendency in especially some more traditional organizations to really celebrate and reward expertise. Well, really that not knowing mindset, like we have some hypotheses, but we're going to figure it out together. And I don't have the answer, but I'm here to create an environment where we can find answers is so freeing for people. Yeah. So I, I just put myself out there as an example of like, it's taken me 15 years to realize <laughs> I actually don't know. <laughs> and right. my power is not to be the expert. My power is to create those spaces. I honestly feel if more people were doing that for one another, we would be getting to more solutions together right. than if we were all trying to like one up one another on who's the smartest in the room. Yeah. And, and back to your point, Megan, I think if there's enough people in the organization taking some ownership of the change that needs to happen, that message gets to leadership. It, it moves up the chain. So you can start a groundswell and not necessarily wait. If you're aligned with your peers, right? So maybe you're a, a director of engineering and you're working with the director of marketing on different ways to talk about what the engineering team does, or you're you're working with these people to you're not waiting for this top-down approach like you talked about. You can start to make that change happen. But let's talk about when you folks get involved. You, Meg, uh, Sarah, you had mentioned liking to come in after that vision has been established. Like, this is where we want to be. Megan, what are some of the first steps that you take when coming into an organization? What are some of the first questions that you ask? What are some of the things you need to know in order to understand is this, are we going to be successful here when we enter into this change? Yeah, I think where we come in is, Sarah mentioned that we're not necessarily coming in to do that vision work. You do need a direction, right? You need an organizing principle that's going to guide the work because if you don't know where you're trying to go, it's really hard to get there. And so some of the work that we're doing at the beginning in stakeholder interviews is to understand how much alignment and common language there is around that direction. And then we determine whether or not we need to help people a little bit more in that and and clarify that. But beyond that, I think the work really starts by understanding where they're at, what's the problem to be solved. Sarah's teaching me this constantly. I, I spent my career in companies and she spent her career as in agencies and as a consultant. And so just always turning back to what is the problem to be solved? How do we hone in on that? What has worked and what hasn't worked and being able to talk to people throughout the organization to really understand that. And then we can craft solutions from there. And I think one of the exciting practices that probably differentiates us versus others is that we're not trying to control every single thing in what you do. We're really, again, turning that lens of the tools and frameworks that you use within the product space and within the brand space inwards. And so we're looking for the pain points, right? We're looking for employees on what are the things that if you could change in your organization would make your life and work so much better? And can we actually isolate a few of those and use those as our points of experiment? And we're trying to find our way to what's the first knot that we're going to untangle. And if we untangle that, what might it break free for the rest of the organization? And that being like a a bit of a different approach in terms of how we try to find our way in and how we try to start the work. Makes sense. Sarah, anything you want to add to that? 
Yeah. Just having come, we go back a lot and a lot because Megan grew up inside organizations. I grew up in externally. And so I think when you work in agencies and consultancies, like there's a tendency to think you have like it all figured out and you have the perfect approach and you're going to come in with this like new way of looking at things. It's just what that industry does sell. And Megan had experienced the like, what it's really like to be a human being every day. Like (laughs) when that's been foisted upon you, we're still navigating this, but our mission is to not come in and foist something perfect on people. But instead, like if we can work with a client partner to identify the first knot and then just have a really small engagement around the first knot. And then once that starts to untangle, have another small engagement around the second and then the third. And that's that snowball feels so much more real to what people need and valuable to our clients. A mentor of ours kind of told us, always think about the client first and their needs. And so really trying to be genuine to that and practice that empathy for what it's like to walk in their shoes is really important to us as we think about what's the right place to come in. Makes sense. So last question I've got for you is the idea of what's been happening with the uh, pandemic. Obviously, so many people working from home, so many organizations deciding to just throw their old buildings away and but other places saying, no, we're not doing that. And uh, I feel like the idea of organizational change and the design of those organizations has been really impacted over the the last year. If you had a crystal ball, (laughs) where would you see things going? And then what would be your advice for those organizations around being flexible with the idea of people working from home or these other types of things? Would you change your org structure to match that more? Does the org structure not need to change because of it? How does this whole new way of working, well, more common way of working kind of impact and, and the things that you're seeing? Yeah, there's a lot in there. We're being really honest with ourselves. I was like, we don't have a crystal ball. Nobody does. And we all love, I love doing future vision work. But what we've actually found really useful is to like, think about there are multiple futures out there and probably elements of all of them could come true. So actually thinking about what the multiple different futures are that might exist and then looking for how you can potentially add or create value in any of those futures to point out what's the direction that might fit those futures, I think is important versus trying to predict. And then again, like thinking as a brand strategist using kind of experience design, but turning it on your employees, what are the pain points that someone experiences as they start to go into hybrid work? What are going to be the highs? Like, the really wonderful moments and what are going to be the lows and can you identify a couple of the lows and maybe you can't like remove every single low, but man, can you find one low that all of you are pretty certain no matter which future happens, most of your employees are going to feel and can you remove that low for them? And can you really invest in doing that? Same thing as an individual. We've all been now, we've worked at home. We've worked at the workplace. We can start to hypothesize what our highs and lows are going to be. And so can we do the due diligence of knowing? For me, I have been horrible about moving throughout the pandemic and getting (laughs) exercise in my routine. This is a pain point for Sarah. We know, and we know that as we go into hybrid, it will probably continue to exist. How can I focus on maybe removing that one pain point? So again, this hypothesize the future and then start small and experiment. I think really does start to play out as we think about what this new workplace is going to look like for everyone. Yeah, 
Yeah. And Megan, what does your there. crystal ball say? <laughs> yeah. Just add on there. I, I think where we tend to go with problems like this is like we swing to the poles, right? We go to one end of the spectrum or the other. And the truth is that there is something potentially in the middle and it might be different for different people, but we also get to recreate new. And I, I guess I'll just use Sarah and I as the example here. What's interesting about our working relationship is that we've never really been in person. Even before the pandemic, when we started to work together, yeah. we started to work together virtually because we had different jobs and different lives. And so now as we think about how we come together in person, we actually have to think about what are the occasions where it makes sense for us to be together in person? What would we use that time for that's different mm. you know, than how we engage at home? And I think just being able to step back from the problem and take a bit of a fresh lens and say, how can we actually create this? We have this opportunity to create a new way of working. And so let's not see it as this pull between two poles and let's just see it as the ability to create something that we probably all wish would have existed in the first place. And it probably has a bit of a spectrum in terms of how people use it. So it's not a one size fits all. Yeah, no, I love that idea. And because the idea of getting back together and being just instead of taking it for granted, being more intentional about it, I think I think that's a real opportunity for folks. Sarah and Megan, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. I always enjoy our conversations. If I want to know more about Loom and the work you do, where is a great place to go and find out more? I find I should suggest everybody here follow your medium posts because they're fantastic. I'm learning a lot. Thank you. Yeah, you can go to weareloom.co to learn more about us. And then we are on LinkedIn and we like to share our thoughts on Medium. That's great. Again, I wish you all the success. And if people who are, whoever's watching, make sure you reach out and chat with Sarah and Megan. They've got some great things going on. Thanks again for joining me. Yeah, thank you, Kurt. Thank so you. Thank you for listening to Schmidt List. If you like this episode, you'll love our new YouTube channel. Just head to YouTube and search for Schmidt List and subscribe. We'll be doing live interviews and career coaching weekly, so I'd love to see you there. If you're interested in how my company Foundry accelerates innovation, head to foundrymakes.com to check out all the work produced by our amazing team of strategists, designers, and engineers for companies of all sizes. And one last thing, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes as it helps other fantastic people like yourself find the show. Have a great week, everyone. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.